Hello and welcome to the Mighty 90s Movie and TV Podcast. I'm Dom. And I'm Simon. And on this episode, we're diving into Sister Act. Welcome to the Mighty 90s Movie and TV Podcast, where it's always 10.30 at night, so it's time to grab the snacks from the sweet cupboard move upstairs and settle in as tonight's movie for debate is Sister Act. Now, Simon, before re-watching, what, if anything, did you remember about Sister Act? Well, this was actually my first viewing of Sister Act. It's normally me that has all the first viewings, and you've had a first viewing. <laughs> Yay! Yeah, yeah, that's right. I think besides us, uh, Saving Private Ryan was uh, was a first full viewing. Right? Yeah, I'd seen parts, but Sister Act, yeah, this is the first time I'd seen it. I had seen it in the West End a long time ago, so I knew the general outline, but hadn't seen Whoopi in her full flair. Um, and I, I really enjoyed it. Spoilers for the for the judgments at the end. I thought it was really good. It was good fun. It's a shame that I hadn't seen it before. I think I would have enjoyed it when I was younger. It probably wouldn't have been one that I would have reached for, for, you know, repeat viewings, because as I've found as I've got older, I have to sort of have a character in there that I can particularly identify to, whether I see myself as Cameron Poe in Con Air, (laughs) or uh, cast a Troy in Face Off, or Nicolas Cage in any other film. <laughs> Every week. Every week. It's a shame he's not in Sister Act, isn't it, really? He is in my mind. So. <laughs> Was he Mother Superior? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it probably wouldn't have been one that I would have kept going for, but it's one that I, I, I can imagine I will watch again in my adult life. So... Yeah, I uh, I enjoyed it. I don't have any particular memories about it. I don't really have many memories or any memories of Whoopi Goldberg at all. Like she kind of skipped over me in terms of I I saw Ghost, but I didn't see that again until I was an adult. And then I don't really know what else I've seen her in. So there's a lot of um, voids in my Whoopi Goldberg knowledge. But now I'm ready to fill those voids because I really enjoyed her performance. And obviously we'll get into all of that. But Dom, what do you remember about Sister Act before rewatching it? I, I remembered quite a lot. So there's some de- so from rewatching it, there's some detail and stuff in there that I'd, I'd forgotten about. Um, but uh, before I got to watching it, I, I remembered quite a lot. I remember the songs. Um, I remember the change in the songs obviously being put in a convent because she had witnessed the murder and it was her boyfriend that had, had done a murder and stuff like that and uh, all bits that we're going to cover and get into but I remember in particular my mum absolutely loves this film mm. she loved it when I was when I was younger when it first came out um, and we used to watch it quite a lot when it first was released on, on video and uh, it was something that we always you, you know would sway to if it was on tv over something else you know that that kind of sunday afternoon like film uh and it's one of those films that sort of brings a lot of sort of fun and excitement especially sort of into our household which is great so um yeah love love the film so there's a little spoiler from me as well <laughs> and what about your your whoopee knowledge 
do you have like a high level of whoopee knowledge well i'm gonna get into that because whoopee goldberg is in star trek is she she is but i'll get into that <laughs> okay so uh as i as we sort of dive into it you'll find out a little bit more of the connection to other episodes we've already done i love it i love it when our episodes interconnect when there's a link you love a link i do i do so shall we dive into sister act we yes let's 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 do this so just so that listeners know normally whoever picks the film at the end of the previous podcast other person so if i pick the film simon would then do the deep dive and vice versa but because of the covid world and how different our schedules are and how busy we've both been it's kind of got a little bit mixed up so i although i picked sister act i've gone and done the deep dive in it it's a film i know a little bit better and it's allowed me um the 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 time to be able to go through it so you know forgive us for that we'll hopefully get back to our usual routine soon amen (laughs) nice okay so sister act is released in 1992 so we were five years old it's a good age that's a great age so it would have been a great fun film to watch. There would have been bits that we probably wouldn't have really understood. And then obviously as you get a bit older, you, you do understand. Um, but I, I really remembered, I, I remember really enjoying this film from, you know, the singing and the fun and kind of Whoopi Goldberg in general, just her mannerisms and stuff like that. So great film, great age to, to be watching a film like this as well. Minus the violence, I suppose, but it's, you know, quite well edited, so you don't really see anything. The side murder plot would have probably gone over our heads. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, I almost missed it on this one, on this watch. <laughs> so the film was directed by Emil Ardolino. I believe that's how you say it. He also directed Dirty Dancing, 1987, and Three Men and a Little Lady. Um, sadly, he died a year later after the release of Sister Act. So he died in 1993, um, so it doesn't have much between 92 and 93 that, that he'd worked on but you know he's done some massive films and Dirty Dancing is you know a huge film uh, unfortunately in the 80s so not one that we can cover uh, but was a good year because it was the year we were born hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sister Act was written by Paul Rudnick um, but if you watch the credits it said the writer was Joseph Howard so the original screenplay that Paul Rudnick had written he'd written with Bette Midler in mind to play Sister Mary Clarence. But the script then got changed so much and there were a lot of people that ended up, you know, being involved with the writing and it ended up being handed to Whoopi Goldberg so that he he then decided because it changed so much, he was going to use a pseudonym. So he used the name Joseph Howard. So the name Joseph Howard comes up as the writer, even though it was actually Paul Rudnick. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, he wasn't happy with the amount of changes that had been made and the the amount of additional writers that had got involved. So one of the additional writers was Carrie Fisher um, from Star Wars fame. That's crazy. I didn't know that she was a writer as well. Yeah, yeah. Apparently it was Whoopi Goldberg that had got her involved on this project as well. And there, there was some sort of dispute between them and uh, I believe Disney because it's a touchstone production and we know that they are owned by Disney and there'd been a dis- dispute between Whoopi Goldberg and Disney and uh, Carrie Fisher had said something along the lines of you're entering a pissing contest with people who actually have penises <laughs> um, which which is quite funny but obviously she was the, the voice of reason in whatever their dispute was 
The musical arrangements in the film are by Mark Shaman, uh, who worked, had worked with Bette Midler previously. So there's a lot of connections to Bette Midler in this film, but obviously she wasn't in it. He had co-produced a lot of her songs, Bette Midler songs, that is, uh, and was involved in a lot of her films. And then it got him into like the film industry and, you know, his road to basically scoring movies. Would you like to hazard a guess as the budget, Simon? How much was spent on on making the film? Well, firstly, this is a great deep dive. You're, Thank you. You've got the tools out, you've got the spade, and you've been just getting on in there. You've been <laughs> digging away. Getting in. Yeah. <laughs> you've gone deep, my friend. It's very good, very good. Thanks, man. The budget, that's it's a difficult one. They, there's not like a lot of visual effects or, or any really, is there? And there's not many big set pieces or anything like that that would come over as expensive. So I guess we're paying the, the cast. So think about this. Cast, pretty, pretty big cast. Whoopi Goldberg, pretty big. Ivy Keitel, pretty big. So Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, all of that um, sort of fame. He, so he's a big actor through this period. And Whoopi Goldberg is a, is a big actor for this period as well. So obviously they're the main talent. And then the rest of the... Or Maggie Smith as well, of course. So I think think about them in particular. But also remember it's early 90s. Well, you, <laughs> you're throwing me all kinds of curveballs. Well, I mean, <laughs> knowing that Cool Runnings from my last episode was $14 million for the budget and, and they changing locations, etc. I'm going to go with... 18 million. Unfortunately, you're a little bit off the mark, my friend. It was 31 million. Wow. Yeah, big budget for this one. That's crazy because if you was to put, you know, Cool Runnings next to Sister Act, you would think that Cool Runnings would have the higher budget considering, you know, the sort of practical effects and, you know, using bobsleds and, you know, all of that sort of stuff where essentially sister act for the majority is you know filmed within a church so that's crazy to think they would have double the budget but if you think about it this way they made it's almost like they made sister act to be a success whereas cool runnings was made almost as if it was already a flop before it really got anywhere right right even even though it even though it wasn't a flop and it's like a massive film now they could remember when we were talking about it um before it was kind of nobody was that interested in the film. You know, John Candy had taken uh, a pay cut from what he'd usually earned to to make sure the film got made and stuff like that. So yeah, I yeah. think I think it's kind of the opposite effect with Sister Act in that so many people wanted to be involved in it. It was made originally for for Bette Midler, um, and then was changed, and then eventually evolved to Whoopi Goldberg. And there's some you know big names in it. Yeah, yeah, true. I see that they they were in, it was an investment. They were investing and banking on it having a solid return. Yeah, absolutely. Which I'm sure is a good segue, right? <laughs> absolutely. I was going to say, which leads me perfectly to my next question: How much did it take in the box office? Again, again, difficult. So knowing that Cool Runnings, let's keep let's keep bringing it back to Cool Runnings. Cool Runnings was. Was it like just under 150 worldwide uh, million? Yeah. And and Sister Act, I know, is, you know, prolific in the 90s of being... It's a classic, a 90s classic, like Cool Runnings is. So I'm going to say it's probably a, it's similar. So I'm, I'm going to say 150 million. Okay, that, that's a guess. 
That's my guess. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, do you want to know the actual figure? Please. <laughs> the actual figure is 231.6 million. Whoa. Smashed it. They made 200 million on top of what they spent to make the film. Wow. Wow. And a bit. <laughs> That's crazy. I'm terrible today. I'm off. <laughs> We're just out of practice. No, you're loving this, aren't you? You're loving this. <laughs> oh, dear. It's a film I actually know for once as well, and I have seen before, so I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy 230 million yeah that's great i mean i'm super interested and as soon as this is over we'll be googling about the sequel because this is one of the few films that i know the sequel has a reputation for superseding the original i mean is that the case for you i like the sequel is one of my wife's favorite films but is that because of who's in it and because it's got a lot more kids in it i yeah i mean i don't I don't know. I haven't seen the second one either. So. <laughs> but I know like Lauren Hill is in it and it's it's set in sort of like underprivileged school, isn't it? And is it a bit yeah. more sort of, it turns into a bit more gospel singing. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, have you seen the second one as well? Yeah, I have. I've seen the second one. So the second one was actually released in 1993. Um, so it was made a year later, um, which, is, which is crazy. So obviously the success of Sister Act meant... Uh, right we need to put a sequel together and very quickly uh, which they did like you said it had lauren hill in it um and was is basically you know like a lot of the films that we've kind of already covered is that ragtag bunch of kids who are a bit misguided they don't really have any direction and then they're pointed in the right way and then they become like this great you know vocal choir and they do amazing things so uh, it, it is a good film but um a bit of a traditionalist on this, I, I prefer the original. Just on this, you know, if, if we were talking about like Terminator, it'd always be Terminator Two. You know, you know that. Of course, of course. You know that. <laughs> but on this, I, I, I prefer Sister Act to Sister Act Two. However, there is apparently a plan for there to be a Sister Act Three. No way. Which is being written, or or was at least commissioned to be written in 2018. So it is due to be released on Disney Plus but I do not have a date as to when. Oh, wow. It's not even going to get like a cinematic release. No, it will be just on Disney Plus. So it's been written literally for for that, for their new channel. Yeah, it's, you know, Treadstone Productions. So it's all big part of Disney. As we discussed on many of our podcasts already, Disney pretty much own the world. So it's not a surprise. Will Whoopi be reprising her role? I don't know. There's no mention. It's literally just that it's been commissioned and that's it. So hopefully, if you've got the channel yet, um, you can flick through and look for Sister Act 3 and see uh, if it comes up. Well, I don't know if you're aware, Dom, but Whoopi Goldberg was actually coming or due to be coming over to London this summer to play Sister Mary Clarence in the West End production of Sister Act here in, in mm -hmm. London. But I'm assuming that's probably cancelled now. Um you know for COVID-19 etc but obviously that shows that she's still you know a fan of of the movie franchise that she's still willing to reprise her role on stage so maybe she will be in the third one well let's hope so because she she makes the, the the first one obviously and she make she pretty much makes the second one as well as well as her supporting cast because you know they come as a decent little sort of little group there's like a group of five of them that are in that are in the two films and and they really make it what it is 
Um, so hopefully, hopefully they're all in it. You know, the ones that are still alive. I knew, <laughs> I, I knew you was going to say that. The ones that aren't bereaved. <laughs> it's that word again. <laughs> Or dead. Or dead. <laughs> yes. So, another little game we like to play is the guess the IMDb rating. So, Simon, what do you think the IMDb rating is for this film? Would think it would be pretty, pretty high. I'm gonna say I think it's gonna be between six and seven. I'm gonna say like maybe six point five. Oh, you're actually back on four, my friend. It's six. Hey, uh... <laughs> <laughs> so well done so what you've got to guess now is the slightly more difficult rating of the rotten tomatoes percentage because they're so up and down normally and we you know we, we rarely get these right so what do you think rotten tomatoes scored it rotten tomatoes is just a labyrinth of misinformation isn't it <laughs> i'm gonna say uh somewhere maybe like in the 70s so i'm gonna say like 74 percent oh you're one away you're actually smashing the ratings 73 percent 73 it makes me feel better about the, the budget situation at least <laughs> well it's okay because you, you know you've done an absolutely smashing job of guessing that so well done thank you sir so do you want to shall i dip into some trivia now Please, but just just before that, can you help me with some of my whoopee knowledge? Uh, I'm only really going to talk about her in Star Trek, <laughs> <lot of> the... <laughs> but I can I can help you with more. That's that's not a problem. Right, because so on our Instagram page, please yeah. please follow if if you'd like to at the Mighty Nineties on Instagram. We follow a lot of '90s sort of fan pages of you know films and toys and you know all things from the '90s era. So I get my the timeline on there is like flooded with '90s imagery, and one that I had never seen before was a movie called Theodore Rex. Have you ever heard of this? I have not heard of this. Well, neither had I. But the Im- <laughs> but the imagery captivated me. The image was of a dinosaur, which looked like a dinosaur from the TV show Dinosaurs. Do you remember that? You know, the, I not, do. not the mama. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah. It looked like a dinosaur straight out of that. Like I don't know whether this is like a spin-off or they just literally just took the uh, you know the props or the puppetry or whatever but it's also it's starring Whoopi Goldberg so it's like Whoopi Goldberg a dinosaur and they're in a big city and I've never heard of it I went straight onto Amazon and ordered it so it said it would be here within the next three to four weeks because due to current situation so we will see but the future's toughest cop is Katie Coltrane Back. And now she's getting a new partner. His name is Teddy. Hit me. It's a dinosaur. You two have solved this case together. Oh, what? What? It's a dinosaur. New partner, Coltrane. <laughs> He's got the style. I'm here for a new look. Step right up. Push the button. He's a cop. 
Mahalo! You gotta make him look like a real cop. I'm too sexy for my clothes. That thing at the table just clacked at me. He's got horns for you. It's very normal. He's got the charm. <laughs> your mind's shut down and your glands have taken over. And he's got the appetite. You cannot eat our only suspect. To come out... Yes! On time. <laughs> Both! <laughs> I'm amazing. New Line Cinema presents... Hey, you think you're gonna get somebody? <laughs> Whoopi Goldberg. Can you just slide your butt? Yeah, that's great. Like that? And introducing... Teddy. Sweets? Ah. One a customer. <laughs> Theodore Rex. It's a tale you'll never forget. I love when he does that. <laughs> Yeah, there's Whippy Goldberg in that. And then I knew that she was in Sister Act. I know that she obviously was in Ghost. Ghost is probably one of the one of the major ones as well. Obviously, Patrick Swayze, uh, Demi Moore. So that's that's a massive one. That's one of her pinnacle ones, as well as the Sister Act franchise that I would say Ghost is definitely up there. Have you heard of the film called The Colour Purple? I've yes, I've heard of it. I've never seen it. I know it's uh, Spielberg, and I know it's revered as an amazing film. But it's like a difficult film to watch, isn't it? Like as in, like racially and stuff like that. And I think because of it's about abuse and stuff like that, isn't it? So it's not an easy one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. I know that I need to watch that. But so she's in that as well, then. Yeah, with Danny Glover and like Oprah Winfrey's in it, I think, and like loads and loads of other sort of great actors. So, but yeah, she's in the color purple. And then I think does she? I think she does like a radio show in America. Or times when I've been in America, I've seen like billboards with her like doing like morning breakfast shows and things. So I don't know. Does she have like a repertoire that is not just in film? Like she does presenting and, and other things like that do you know about any of that well she's a stand-up comedian i think she's a stand-up comedian first and then moved into sort of big time hollywood so she she always does like comedy shows i think so she's wow. she's like massive for comedy wow okay so just multi-talented oh yeah absolutely so if you if you looked into her comedy stuff you'd you'd see her doing like shows all over the world and uh, and stuff like that i think last year she was over here doing like a show where she's basically just goes on stage stage and and just talks and it just turns out to be really funny because that's the kind of character she is you know but she does a lot of tv work a lot of voice work so she i mean she's done so much stuff that's that's really cool and this is going to sound like a very very odd comparison um, but hopefully it will you know conclude in in a way that makes sense but like how we were saying about John Candy on our previous episode of Cool Run-Ins and then how we were talking about Rick Moranis on the episode before that with the Little Giants, she seems like someone that is genuinely, you know, like how she is, uh, well, in Sister Act anyway, I guess, to a certain degree, uh, in real life in terms of being like, you know, lighting up the room, kind of charismatic and you know, larger than life and, you know, happy, you know, just, just like a positive energy 
do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I I like to think the same as well. It's a shame we don't have anyone on that we can discuss that with <laughs> and find out the truth. But I've, I'm the same opinion of, as you in that she seems, you know, quite down to earth and grounded, but also fun to be around and would be sort of nice and polite. I've, I've never heard any like bad press about her anyway. So she would seem like the sort of person you'd want to go for a beer with. Yeah. Yeah, she'll probably drink you under the table. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, yeah, cool. Okay. Well, thank you. I feel like, you know, the whoopee void in my brain is slowly being filled with with knowledge. So this is good. It's about to get a whole lot fuller, my friend. <laughs> fill, it, <laughs> fill it up. <laughs> okay, let's move into some of the trivia on uh, Sister Act then. So Whoopi Golbo plays uh, Dolores Van Cartier, um, who is basically a, a lounge singer. So Dolores' group at the, at the beginning of the film are called the Ronelles, which is a combination of um, two groups, two sort of uh, girl groups from the 60s, um, the Ronettes and the Shirelles. So it's a combo of their names. Nice. That's cool. That's a good fact. And the two other ladies that are in the group are Jennifer Lewis, who is in The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and she's in loads of stuff as well. Yeah, spotted her. She's the uh, grandma in Blackish. I don't know if you've seen that with Anthony Anderson. I haven't seen it. I knew she was in it, but I haven't seen it. When we were watching it, uh, my wife said, Oh, do you recognise her? And I was like, Yeah, what from? And she said, She's the aunt in The Fresh Prince. I was like, Yes, of course. <laughs> like, she's got, <laughs> yeah. she's got a really, I don't know, like recognisable face, if that, if that makes yeah. sense. She's even in episodes of Friends as well. You know, when Monica's like first starting out as a chef. Oh, she's yeah. In, in like the early series, she works with Monica in the in the restaurant. Yeah, I actually, yeah, I can I can remember that. Picture it. Yeah, so yeah. she's in that. And the other lady that's part of the group is Charlotte Crossley, so, uh, who plays Tina. So they play Tina and Michelle. Uh, and they're, they're in her little girl group. Nice. So because many of the scenes were shot in Reno, uh, so Reno, Nevada is kind of um, like a, considered like a little Vegas, I believe. Um, the cast members would often stay in their nun outfits, so in their habits, and wander off the set to pull some pranks at the casinos, bars and clubs, and sometimes in the strip clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, so Kathy, uh, Najimi and Wendy McKenna tell a story that they were they once ordered wine and fries to their hotel room and answered the door in their nun outfits whilst they were playing like really loud porn on the TV <laughs> just to like really confuse and like freak out the hotel staff. <laughs> That's brilliant. So, you know, I talked about a, a Star Trek connection here. You did. Let's hear it. So we have a connection to Smart House in that Whoopi Goldberg for quite a long time played a character called Guinan on Star Trek The Next Generation with LeVar Burton, who was Geordie LaForge, who directed Smart House. Hey! Well, Dom, I'll have you know, I messaged LeVar Burton yesterday giving him an invite where to come on to the podcast so we could do Smart House Part 2 with a cast member so i doubt he will ever read it but i have i have messaged him listeners if you'd like to hear that message him 
hashtag him, <laughs> Twitter him, Instagram him, whatever. We would it would be a dream. We love Smart House that much. It would actually be a, a massive dream for me. I would proper fanboy, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Two reasons. So you could come at it from the Star Trek angle and I'd come at it from the Smart House angle and we'll meet in the middle by showing him some honey and talking about all of that good stuff. Show me the honey! <laughs> so right at the beginning of the film, uh, there's a young lady called Isis Carmen Jones who plays young Dolores. Um, so you see her in the opening scene. Now, um, later in that year, uh, the same girl, so Isis Carmen Jones, also played a younger version of Whoopi Goldberg in Star Trek. So she played a younger version of Guinan. Or, or they basically, in, in that episode, um, three of the characters are, uh, four of the characters, sorry, are like made younger by like a transporter issue. You don't need to worry too much about the details. Um, <laughs> yeah, don't, don't worry about the details. Just uh, Don't worry about the details. Yeah. And that and, and that girl plays the the younger version of, of Whoopi Goldberg again. That's cool. And that also ties back to our Little Giants episode where the kid that played young Rick Moranis in Little Giants played young Rick Moranis again in the future in, a, in another film. So... Absolutely. So reusing the same children to play younger versions of themselves. Yeah, you find your your child <laughs> double and then you just keep them for all future projects. <laughs> so are you ready for another Star Trek connection? You're probably not. You're going to get it anyway. So Emil uh, Ardolino had previously directed Three Men and a Little Lady. So the director of Sister Act had previously directed Three Men and a Little Lady. The sequel to Three Men and a uh, and a baby, which was directed by Leonard Nimoy. Nice. Leonard Nimoy played Spock famously for years and years and years in Star Trek. So his son, Adam Nimoy, directed Star Trek: The Next Generation that featured Whoopi Goldberg and Artis <laughs> Carmen Jones. So there's links all over the place. I love it. I love the lengths you go to to connect it back to Star Trek. I res- <laughs> I, re- I respect it. I get it. <laughs> Shall I, get... I do it on every episode from now on? If sure. I could have made cool runnings linked to Star Trek somehow. I'm sure it could be done <laughs> in some way. <laughs> okay, so let's one more Star Trek fact. And then oh I'll my move god. On. There's one more, there is one more. So uh you you'll hear about this later on in the episode when we when we cover the, the scene by scene. But there's a scene where Dolores uh, well, she's dressed as a nun, so she's Sister Mary Clarence, is tied to a chair um, where sort of Vince's henchmen are um, about to release her so she can sort of kneel down and pray before they're about to, you know, deal with her, as they say. The chair that she is sitting on and has been tied to is in an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation called Devil's Gym. So that chair is from Star Trek and it was used in this uh, film. But, what? <laughs> I don't... See, that, the, that, that chair was used in an episode of Star Trek in 1991 and then was used in Sister Act in 1992. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. I, I just... <laughs> I'm just so I'm just so confused. I don't know how to respond to this. Like, how? you don't need to. Just accept the fact that that chair is is a famous Star Trek chair. <laughs> I just don't get how one. How did they know? Two. Why did they? Why? Why did they bring this specific 
chair in and where is this chair maybe, now maybe Whoopi liked it so much in star trek that she wanted it involved in sister act maybe it's involved in all her projects now you don't know <laughs> it's just a very comfortable chair i mean it didn't look comfortable did it <laughs> how much would you pay to be able to have that chair so you could just have it in your house you could record the podcast sitting in that chair how much would you part with of your english sterling pounds oh oh you're the you're the memorabilia buyer how how much would you expect a chair like that to go for well, it's been in multiple productions. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think that could go from... The thing is, is, you know, the uh, the value is in the eye of the beholder. So only just give, you just can... give me a figure, Simon. I just want numbers. Numbers on paper, my friend. I think in the thousands. I'd say, oh, I'd say maybe like 1,500 to 2,000. I'll wait for it to drop to 500 quid and then we'll start talking. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, it's only going to shoot up if if Sister Act's going to turn into a trilogy. If they can use that chair again, my God! Oh God, I hope so. <laughs> I just imagine you just eagerly watching Sister Act three, just trying to look and freeze frame on every chair that's inside. Is it the one? Is that the chair? <laughs> Is that it? <laughs> my chair. <laughs> enough, enough about the chair. You brought it up. I did, I did. You took it to extremes. You're trying to buy it. I will own that chair. Okay, if it was £500, I'm being serious, would you Would you do it? I'd think about it. Then I'd wait for Sister Act 3. Then I'd sell it for more. Ah, Dominic, no. You're part of the culture. <laughs> That's not what it's about. You're not here to make money off of Whoopi's chair, Okay. Firstly, there's definitely some wordplay to be done about the chair and a cushion and a whoopee, but I can't connect the dots. Well, I was just going to do that, but you, you've ruined it now. So Where are you? Where are you? Yeah. Dom, was, Dom, yeah. Dom, stop trying to move on from this. Just submit. We're going to talk about this chair for a bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> I said it's a shame that we couldn't be buying Whoopi's cushion. It was what I was going to go with. <laughs> that would have been my... <laughs> uh, that would make a racket. Oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> you just left me hanging. Oh my god! What you should have done is just gone. But, but Dom, you know that I control <laughs> editing, so I can just take one of your laughter moments from later on. <laughs> just drop it in. Do it. Absolutely, do it. That exact. You see that you're laughing right now. I'm gonna. I'll cut it in. That's. <laughs> then you don't you ever ever leave me silent on a joke again. My gosh. <laughs> It won't happen again. I'm so sorry. Uh, that'd make a racket. <laughs> that'd make a racket. <laughs> racket. You're just going to edit me out fully, aren't you? Just be laughing and <laughs> you talking. <laughs> just me talking about the value of a chair. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Go okay. on. Wait, wait, Dom. Sorry, just one more thing about the chair. <laughs> Joking, <God. laughs> I've got two more facts, a little bits of trivia, and then I'll move on. So uh, the Reno police station that is shown in the film was actually uh, the Reno post office because the director said that the police station didn't look enough like a police station, but the post office did. But the patrol... The patrol cars that they used outside the police station are real patrol cars with real police officers in who were running security for the film set at the time. So although it wasn't a real police station, it was real police officers and police cars. 
Nice. I like that. And then my last fact, in the end credits, you see a load of magazine covers coming up with uh, Whoopi Goldberg on it with the nuns and, and so on and so forth. Uh, one of them was a real magazine cover. So the Rolling Stone magazine cover that's shown in the end credits was a real magazine cover. That's cool. What, promoting for when promoting the film or something? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, d- I didn't really look into that any further other than that. I was more interested in a chair. <laughs> Just eyes on the prize. <laughs> that's where the money is my friend <laughs> that good old good old chair money shall we do the scene by scene scene by scene scene by scene yes you ready for this i am ready for this let's do this okay so the start of the film we start at st anne's academy 1968 where we meet young dolores played by isis carmen jones and it, she she's in like a convent school so nuns are the teachers and one of the nuns who is doing the teaching says who can name all the apostles and who puts her hand up young dolores puts her hand up and he goes yes dolores and she goes john paul george and ringo <laughs> and makes the whole class laugh so she's obviously already already given us this little vibe of being a bit of a class clown and the lesson sort of goes on a little bit and she says, go and write the name of the uh, of the apostles on the board and write them in alphabetical order. So she does. She writes John, Paul, Peter and Elvis. She gets another great laugh from the class uh, and looks like a bit of a hero until the nun starts sort of kicking off at her uh, and basically says, do you know what girls like you uh, become? I think she said, any idea what girls like you become? And then she has a little grin on her face. And then all of a sudden... It goes into music and glamour, uh, and we hear the song Heat Wave. So originally, I think, by Martha Reeves and the Vandellas. Um, and it looks like the perfect 60s trio has come out, um, and they're doing their song, which is great. Um, what do you think of this bit, like, from the school to that, that jump from school to, to the singing trio? Yeah, really good and smooth. And, and like you said, it gives gives us as the audience sort of everything that we need to know that actually she was a bit of sort of the not like the class clown but she she wasn't into all of that she was her own person from you know from a kid and then yeah it's a great transition in and she's got a really good singing voice she sings she sounds really good and that whole opening scene uh in the casino i i really love all of that and they're singing my guy which is a great great song and yeah. i like the bit at the end where she's still singing and looking at the audience and just like ah you don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah exactly like you said so for me when they went from school to that scene the, the very beginning part of that scene I th- you kind of it kind of gives you the impression of the nun goes do you know what girls like you become you know when you get older and what she's implying is like basically delinquents um I didn't want to say crackheads, but I've said it. <laughs> uh, and then actually she goes into this sort of glamour and this trio and you think, oh, maybe she's like a star. And if you watch it for the first time, you think, oh, she's like a celebrity. That's great. And then actually you realise she's in a casino. Nobody's paying the slightest bit of attention. They're having to sing over these machines. I think there's one guy that claps at the end of their set and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, exactly like you said, exactly like you said at the end of it, she says, uh, you know, thanks everybody for, for sort of listening. And she goes, ah, oh, you don't give a shit. And before the song's even finished, she goes, let's get out of here. And they just sort of 
disappear. Yeah, exactly that. But there's some, there's some really good music in this bit. Um, so they sing Heatwave, Martha Reeves and the Vandellas. They do My Guy, like you said, which was originally by Mary Wells. Um, and there's some really good bits in that where, you know, when the, the, the two other singers go, what'd you say? And she's like looking at them like she wasn't expecting them to lean in and, and say it to her face. And there's some really good like comic moments in this, which I'd never really noticed before. I think probably because I was a bit too young or didn't really pay enough attention to it. But she struggles with the mic and the mic stand. It keeps falling up and down. She can't get the mic off the mic stand, which I thought was really funny. Um, and then one of the other singers puts their hand in her face uh, as they're doing their dancing. And, and then when they're like jumping in her face and singing the song, she's like, looking at them like, what the hell are you doing? Get out of my way. This isn't what we normally do, which I thought was great. Some really good, funny bits in there. Uh, we meet Harvey Keitel, so um, of Pop Fiction, Reservoir Dogs and many other films fame, and obviously Sister Act, who's playing uh, Vince. And uh, we kind of find out from this scene that Vince is a um, bit of a gangster and a bit of a player. So we, we find out that um, Dolores is actually his um like mistress and he's married and she gets upset because he hasn't told the wife that he's gonna leave her for for dolores and and stuff like that and he's he said that he had to go to uh, he went to confession and the priest said that he'd burn in hell if he divorces his wife so he can't do it at the moment and she gets up you know quite rightly gets upset and basically throws him out because she's got to go out and do another show uh it turns out that he runs the, ca- the casino that she works in which is the moonlight lounge so yeah and it was this is pre-pulp fiction isn't it because i think pulp fiction was 94 maybe yeah that's right and uh, i could tell that he had dyed his hair here because he looks a lot older in pulp fiction just just adding that in there's nothing wrong with that but <laughs> yeah he he's good and he's good in this role yeah he's sort of like sleazy gangster sort of scumbag isn't he but you know he has some morals because he says you want me to go against the priest when she's like you need to leave your wife <laughs> and he won't do it right which is ironic because then later he's you know talk you know questionably gonna you know murder someone in front of a bunch of nuns so <laughs> <laughs> maybe he was maybe he was just lying to her but yeah he's he's good in this role because he's playing the antagonist gangster villain but doing it in what essentially is like a family movie so he's sort of toeing the line well between you know not being a caricature sort of character but also you know, not going for Goodfellas, you know, sort of a good, healthy medium. So I, I think, yeah, he is a good casting choice and I think he gives a, a good performance. Yeah, I agree. So on the back of their argument, Dolores decides she's going to leave the group and she's going to leave Reno. She wants out. And the two other girls in, that are part of her trio are trying to convince her to stay. And she's like, you'll find someone else you know and they say oh but you set us all up you put us together you decide the routines you decide the songs and she's like oh yeah i'm a musical genius what whatever you know because she's pretty much copying you know the the groups from the 60s and and taking that as her her base model of of what performances they're going to do which is you know which is absolutely fine it's entertainment isn't it at the end of the day um and then i can only describe them as goons I, you know, it's funny. In my notes, I wrote goons. 
the judge. <laughs> so um, Joey and Willie, who <laughs> are played by Robert Ra- Robert Miranda and Richard Portnell, um, turn up and they go, oh, I've got a present from Vince. And it turns out to be his fur coat. And she's like, oh, it's a lovely fur coat. You know, maybe he is sorry and stuff like that. And she realises that on the inside, it has a label on it. And it's the name of Vince's wife. Oh, Vince. So she's been re-gifted a coat that was already for someone else. So the goons by this point have left. They've gone away. They've got some business to attend to. That's why Vince didn't come down in in the first place. And then we shoot to the office where Vince is. And he's met by the goons. And they're having a chat with Ernie. Uh, Ernie, we discover, is like a, a limo driver uh, and does some work for Vince here and there. But do we know what counts? So what what counts, Ernie? What's the answer, oh. What's the answer Simon? Oh, okay. I see what you're doing here, Dom. <laughs> this is payback, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> what counts? Uh, not Not being a rat. Almost. So loyalty. Okay. Loyalty is what counts, Ernie. But we know that Ernie had spent three hours on the previous night at the local police station. So, you know, what's been said and they can't trust him. So this is where one of the goons, as described, starts getting his gun ready, puts a silencer on it. And unfortunately, is given the order by Vince to kill Ernie once they've got all the information they want from him as to what, you know, he's given the police. As they do that, Dolores walks in. So this whole scene, she's been walking across the scene at the casino, working out how she's going to leave her job and kind of split up with Vince and get out of town and goes, oh, I'm going to go to Chicago. I don't want to be in San Francisco, uh, which actually I think the original setting for the film was supposed to be Chicago when Bette Midler was in it. Oh. But then when they changed it to Whoopi Goldberg, they changed it to San Francisco because that's where she started out her comedy career. Oh, nice. Just a, a, another little nugget for you there. Nice. Um, and then as she walks in, Ernie gets shot and she witnesses it. And she's just staring at him on the floor. We don't see anything because it's, like you said, it's a family film. Um, and Vince is like, Dolores, Dolores, trying to get get her attention. And she's just like, oh, yeah, thanks for the coat. And then she's like, I'm going to go now and leaves. And then this then starts off this big chase scene where the goons are asked to go and get her and bring her back. And if she doesn't come back, waste her, I think he says. Yeah, he says, take care of it. Oh, yeah, that's it. Take care of it. Which which is crazy. I, I, I didn't think he was going to, you know, put a hit out on her, considering they were romantically involved at the, uh, you know, detriment of my envy, of course. You know, he won't leave his, he won't leave his wife um, for her. And he's just decided suddenly that he's going to get his goons to kill her if she won't come back and kind of explain itself. So um, he doesn't really, you kind of get that vibe that he doesn't really care about her or anyone other than himself to be honest yeah yeah scum completely completely (laughs) sure yeah he's like the white bits at the corners of your mouth when you're really really thirsty (laughs) good con air touch there i like it so she's she's chased by the goons for a little bit she manages to get out so she climbs through a um up a ladder and gets out on the, on the streets of Reno, gets in a taxi and runs away, and the goons don't catch up with her. They're like, oh, we lost her. And she then ends up in the police station uh, where she meets, uh, so they call it Lieutenant, Lieutenant Eddie Souther, um, who is basically taking a statement from her with his two other detective friends. 
Can I can I just say when she escapes from like the sewer or you know under the street and sort of emerges like in front of the casino, there's a second there where she is lifting the the drain panel and letting it rest just on her hair, and that really bothered me because that's horrible. Like that drain panel is not clean, Whoopi. Please don't let that rest on your hair. In the police station, she's given her statement <laughs> and she tells um, Eddie what everything that's happened. And he says, okay, we need to put you into like uh, protective custody and, and find somewhere for you to hide where Vince can't get at you. Um, but he's got, you know, people everywhere and they'll have people looking for you. So I need to put him, uh, I think in his words, I'll put you in the last place on earth Vince will ever look for you. And he's got a nice big grin. And then we're in the convent. Can I just ask, I don't know if you know, I didn't have time to check, but he is really familiar to me. Do you know other projects that he's been in? He is in Spider-Man, oh, okay. I think, Okay. at some point. Okay, it's probably from that then. I'm not sure. I think he's, he's probably one of these guys that's in loads of stuff, but I think he's in Spider-Man and like Spider-Man 3. I think he might be in all of the Spider-Mans actually. Eddie has decided that a convent is going to be the best place for her, uh, that she will never be found. And uh, as they get there and Dolores finds out she's going to be basically pretending to be a nun, she um, says, uh, uh, she basically says, do you know what? I'll go back to Vince. I reckon we can work it out (laughs) rather than being a nun. Yeah, is this the point where she says they don't even have sex? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, basically. She's like, "What am I going to do here? They don't even have sex," and he just goes, "Pray." <laughs> yeah, nice. And then this is the great bit where, um, so the Reverend Mother and the the priest walk in, and it's so Maggie Smith walks in. And it's the first time that she sees her. Walks in and goes, "Excuse me," and walks out again and goes. Absolutely not. Out of the question. <laughs> Just won't, doesn't want to take her on. It's like basically she's going to, you know, be difficult to manage and she's just going to cause problems. And she's kind of already foreseen that of being in the room for six seconds when she's wearing this big gold jacket. Whoopi Goldberg's wearing this big gold jacket and has her hair all over the place and stuff like that. Right. Yes. Now, interesting. I didn't know whether this, maybe it's just because I'm thinking of it from 2020. Uh, slightly more, you know, more sensitive awareness that that we have these days. But I think the line she said was, she's a person designed to stick out. And she hadn't even said anything. Like, uh, Whoopi's character hadn't even said anything. So my question was going to be to you is, do you think this was implied racism? Because, I mean, the rest of the nunnery, if if that's a word is you know all white women so i mean they are all white women but they're all white women from lots of different backgrounds so you notice as they're singing later on in some of the scenes that one of them's kind of got an eastern european twang one of them's like south american but i agree that they are all white and it does kind of give you that feeling that that's what she's alluding to but i actually think um it's more to do she i think she's had it's implied that she's had contact with the police officer before and um, you know, and he's a he's a big black guy, so 
I don't think that's what stands out. I think what stands out is that her hair is massive. She's wearing the bright gold, like sparkly jacket, um, and she's sort of dressed up like she's going out clubbing. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, I think that's what's meant to be the reaction, not not um, race. Yeah, and I guess uh, probably the version of the script that was written for Bette Midler would have probably had the same, uh, you know, line delivery, etc. in it. I assumed that that was probably the case and that it wasn't meant to be racist, but I thought I'd be remiss if I had that thought to not bring it up on the podcast just in case, you know, other people have had that thought as well. I just thought it deserved conversation at, at the least, you know? Yeah, definitely. And, and it's it's going to run through lots of people's minds, you know, especially this day and age as well. But it didn't... There was no other points in the movie, uh, you know, after that or before that, that led to think that. So I'm sure it probably was an anomaly, but yeah, worth just bringing up nonetheless, I guess. Yeah. But there is a great bit in this scene where um, she, they're introducing, the, you know, themselves and, and um, Whoopi Goldberg says, oh, my name's Dolores Van Cartier. And Reverend Marvel goes, is that your real name? <laughs> she goes, yes, I'm a singer. And it's kind of like, oh, okay, that makes it okay then. Um, but Reverend Mother's like, oh, God, you know, <laughs> what a ridiculous name. So she doesn't know what outfit she's getting changed into because she's throwing her clothes over saying, oh, uh, you know, I could wear this, wear that and something. And then um, the Reverend Mother says, look at the drawer to your left or whatever. Uh, what you need to wear is in there. And then you hear her. And there's a scream and then all the nuns that are praying look up in, the, in that direction I thought that was a great bit and then she's wearing it and she's like I, I can't do this sort of thing and she's sort of freaking out well, what were your feelings about her being you know completely changed by this point so she's she's in her habits what are, you, what are your thoughts on Whoopi now it's a drastic change isn't it I mean it's that time Dom for me to use my favourite word it's a juxtaposition Hey. <laughs> from how she would dress to you know to to dressing like this so yeah i i thought it was good and i i think what what is really good about this film is within the first 10 minutes it sets up the entire film really i mean it doesn't it hasn't really touched into later when she takes over orchestrating the the choir etc but we have the whole yeah. premise is very simple and set up really quickly and then not to say it's like become paint by numbers or anything like that, but you can just sort of relax as an audience member and just enjoy these moments of her, you know, being shocked of sort of adjusting to, to nun life. Um, so, yeah, I think it's really good. And I think it, the movie's got great pacing. There's a, yeah, there's some really good points from here. Some really good lines um, when she, you know, first changes into the the nun side of things uh and she's finding life around the convent difficult but she starts to settle in and like you said it happens quite quickly so the film runtime is like a hundred minutes or something like that so it's basically it's basically a, a football match isn't it at length um and it's I know a football match is ninety minutes, but you know, you know what I mean. You, you, so if you took up You love doing that. You love relating you took, it to a football match. Of course. If you take out if you take out the um the end credits, it's about the same length of, of a football match. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um 
but there's some like some really good bits in there where you know Reverend Mother says the St Catherine's is a place to commune and pray and I will not tolerate disruption um you know basically making it very clear that this is the way this convent runs you know she says those kind of um these are the ground rules isn't it and this is the way you need to act and and behave while you're here so that one all of them know that you're a nun and two none of them um are disrupted by you and then she's given the name sister mary clarence um and then it goes from there yeah great dom this guy's a gangster his real name's clarence and clarence parents have a real good ma- no what <laughs> What the hell was that? <laughs> From the end of Eight Mile, this guy's a gangster. His real name's Clarence. And Clarence, I, th- I, th- I think I've told you, like several times, I've, I've not actually watched Eight Mile. What? You haven't watched Eight Mile? You've never told no. me that. Have I not? I'm telling you now. Never seen it. Something about you. You went to Cranbrook. That's a private school. What's the matter, dog? You embarrassed? This guy's a gangster. His real name's Clarence. And Clarence lives at home with both parents. And Clarence's parents have a real good marriage. This guy don't want to battle. He shook. Because ain't no such things as halfway crooks. <laughs> so Sister Mary Clarence gets to meet uh, the rest of the convent. And uh, as she's being introduced by the Reverend Mother to everyone, it's Sister Mary Patrick, um, who is played by Kathy. Najimi, who's in Hocus Pocus with Bette Midler, uh, gives her a little wave. Is the only one sort of give her a little like excited wave or someone new, someone I can talk to. And she's like super happy about it. Uh, and then she raises her hand and shoots her hand up in, in the air and says, uh, wouldn't it be great if Mary Clarence did the, the blessing before we ate? And Mary Clarence is like, oh, okay. <laughs> so Whoopi Goldberg's like, all right, okay. And the Reverend Mother's like, oh no, maybe maybe we shouldn't and then she's like oh no no it's okay it's okay i'll do it and she does the the blessing at the end and um my favorite bit of the whole blessing is that she's just saying bits of religious stuff from like different things so there's there's bits from like wedding vows um and like lord's prayer just just like random bits all being sort of thrown in my favorite bit is when she says at the end by the power invested in me i pronounce us ready to eat <laughs> it's just a, it was a great line um and then she has like a lo- like big issue with the food they're all told to um be be silent because she's making a fuss already and then she's told to fast so she's not allowed to to eat any food for like the, the rest of the day they're super deep they're super deep so actually just shut up and don't eat then <laughs> Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Basically, it's it's to uh, appreciate the sacrifice of others, that those in need, isn't it? Um, but also, it's controlling her. It's basically trying to get her to to pipe down. Yeah, and it's good. But also, we you need these sort of hurdles at this part because we're really sort of still in the coming to like what the end of the maybe like the beginning of the second act at this point, maybe. So it's like we still need to have challenges to overcome and for her to settle in. So, yeah, I think it's done perfectly. Absolutely. Uh, there, we missed a great line where she's, um, where, when she's getting changed, where 
uh, wrote the Reverend Mother says, people wish to kill you, anyone who's met you, I imagine. And I thought that was a great line as well. So just to jump back to that one very quickly. Yeah, that's good. Um, <laughs> uh, the, it then very quickly moves to the police station. So we've we've done quite a lot around uh, the, the nunnery. Uh, and we move to the police station and Vince and his goons kind of walk out of the police station and they're in a, Vince is in a rage because he's been in there for six hours and he questions his lawyer and says, are you even a real lawyer? Did you graduate from law school? He's like, yeah, yes, I did graduate. <laughs> he looks a bit upset. And um, Lieutenant Southa then drives past and like, you know, we've got evidence against you and, you know, you're not going to be happy for long. Uh, and basically implies that he knows what Dolores is. So, um, Vince has been made aware uh, that you know South has got control of Dolores, and he needs to find out, you know, from him or his contacts inside the police station where she is. And he puts a price on her head. Like, do you remember how much it was? It was quarter of a mil, dead or alive, dead or alive. Quarter of a million, dead or alive. So she already had a price on her head, like fifty grand, and then he puts it up to quarter of a mil. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it then goes back to the convent and Dolores is taken to her cell or what's called a cell, so her room and she has a little moan about it for a minute and then goes, where's the phone? And Reverend M- Mother goes, who would you call? She goes, Satan. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just sort of, there's a really good to and fro between them because they are, they are complete opposite ends of the spectrum, aren't they really? Juxtapose, baby. <laughs> I didn't want to take it from from you. <laughs> Ma- Maggie Smith is very cutting in that scene um, because she then starts calling her a failure. This is the reason you've ended up in this position is that you were just allowing her. You witnessed something horrible, and that's all you ever are. That's all you're ever going to amount to be. And it kind of like I think I think this is like you said. This is the point of kind of getting into Act Two, where it's just like oh, like reality's setting in. Yeah, the struggle of. This is where she's got to be for like two months, right? To to hide out, to wait for the court date. And it's not going to be comfortable by any means. I mean, that room that she's in, that they call a cell, which is sounds pretty accurate, is, yeah, is pretty, pretty rough. Like, it, yeah. it's just like bare sort of concrete on the walls, right? Yeah, basically. It's literally, literally bed mattress. There's a side table. And, and concrete and there's even bars on the window yeah and it's in a pretty rough neighborhood isn't it from when later when she looks out of the window and when we get into some of that it's uh yeah it's not exactly the hilton yeah so there's there's a great bit so she's left to it in the room um and then she's <laughs> almost immediately woken up and she's like what time is it and it's like it's almost almost 5 a.m <laughs> and she's woken up by um uh, Sister Mary Patrick, who's super excited about life and everything, um, and then gets her up. She's like, "I've only been asleep for twenty minutes," and uh, she has to get used to to being awake at crazy o'clock. I know that feeling right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think five if five a.m. wake up is a is a lay in at the moment, so she's lucky. Yeah, that's horrible. That's horrible. <laughs> uh, and then the church service is is going on. Uh, it then moves on to the, the church service and Whoopi Goldberg is desperately trying to stay awake. Um, <laughs> she's sort of nodding off in the on the pews. And this is where Joseph Mayer is playing uh, Bishop O'Hara, who's 
you know, giving a sermon and then passes it over to the choir and the choir do the worst job I've ever seen. <laughs> what, what were your th- thoughts of the choir at first? Well, this is it, Dom. Being someone that is talented with a singing voice, it gives you an ear to be able to hear pitch and, and tone and talent, basically. And I couldn't hear any in, in this scene, which makes me sad because... I like to sing for myself, record it and play it back because I know what perfection sounds like. Um, <laughs> Perfect pitch and tone. Just every time. Like I'll, I'll listen to a Beyonce song and think, <laughs> allow me. And then I'll sing it back and just record it. And then I'll just listen to that version because, you know, that's going to be the better one. Because why not? I'm, I'm surprised you picked Beyonce. I mean, there's, there's people out there. Like, I think you could rival anyone. Literally, Andrea Bocelli. I don't know. Beyonce. I don't know who that is, but by the end of this week, she'll know my name because no, that sounds <laughs> that sounds wrong. I just mean because Andrea Bocelli's a guy. Oh god! <laughs> <laughs> why? And he's blind. What? <laughs> I don't know why that's funny. Why? Why are you picking blind men that I don't know? Because why? he's one of like the biggest like classical opera singers of our time i've never heard of him it's not like the people well, that sung you know the barbie girl song <laughs> that's they're real aqua. right is yeah he's no aqua yeah. he's no aqua <laughs> okay i think we've all been there or us that have you know been to church growing up or or currently that there is that air of church singing that can be dare I say a little bit depressing and (laughs) uncomfortable at times yeah and it's like can be pretty you know singing in the falsetto it's quite high pitched and it it does kind of lack a bit of rhythm so (laughs) yeah I think it was a perfect depiction of of that so yeah I I thought it was really good what did you think of the singing yeah yeah, absolutely. You're right. It's it's meant to be awful, isn't it? It's meant to be dreadful um, for the film because uh, it kind of gives off that. There's no one. There's there, I think there's like three or four people there that aren't nuns or aren't part of the church, and they all look bored to death and they're all stunned by how awful the singing is and it's kind of boring hymns uh, that are so out of you know out of touch with the rest of the world, aren't they? And I suppose that's kind of the whole point of the film is it brings them back to the modern age of the time. Yeah, completely. And it's interesting now that I know who Bette Midler is that um, that it would have been a very, very different movie with her in. And I don't know if it would work as well. Yeah, it almost feels like it wouldn't have kind of sat right. It wouldn't have had that same feel. But that might have been because there's so many rewrites in it that it's been written for that exact you know, with that exact purpose and that intonation. Yeah, nice. Good word use. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) You come in on here using new words on the podcast and think I wouldn't notice. (laughs) Have we gone past the bit where she stole the tomato? We did, didn't we? That was ages ago. Uh yes, where she that was after the fasting. Yeah. She wasn't allowed to talk or eat and she nicked the tomato from the garden. I mean you got to eat. 
Yeah, even if it's just just straight up tomato. <laughs> Do we then move to the part where the police find the reward uh, poster where Vince is pretending that he's looking for like his wife or or whatever? Um, yeah, can't want her back, <laughs> dead or alive, or, or <laughs> something like that. Yeah, it's basically we we miss our darling whatever she's been missing for this long uh any information please let us know we would love to hear um dead or alive so basically making it very obvious that if anyone finds her they're gonna get paid big money (laughs) yeah and then it's at this point that our main police officer he won't tell his friends or his colleagues and i i mean this is probably an easy one to predict i guess but i tried to pull uh, like my dad in Fight Club and the Sip Sense, and I I leaned over to my wife and was like, "Ah, oh, that's it. They're the rats. They're the leaks." And uh, I was very proud of myself when that came to fruition, <laughs> even though it was, uh, you know, pretty obvious, I guess. <laughs> well, it's at that point that um, the the lieutenant says, "I wouldn't tell you even if you were the Pope," so he gives him a little clue. He does. Sneaky. Yeah, gives them a little clue and they're like, oh, we're never going to get it. Oh. <laughs> we, we, we go back to uh, the convent at this point and they're chatting, they're getting to know um, Dolores or Mary Clarence um, better. And they're making jewellery and she's really bad at it. And she's just kind of finding out where everyone's from. Um, and then she gets dragged away because she's talking about her um, life, or she says that it was her previous convent, and she talks about this hooker that lived next door and stuff like that. And it's just at that point where the Reverend Mother walks in and is like, absolutely, like, not like drags her away and says, You need to attend like to these chores. And then we get this like montage of her cleaning, like, is it like banisters? And then she's cleaning a car and then she's cleaning like graffiti off of gates and stuff like that, all to um, rescue me. That's it. Take me in your arms, rescue me <laughs> with your tender charms. Oh, I love you, and I do, I do, do. and your love to come on and rescue. Sorry, go on, Dom. Well, Fontella Bass, move aside. Simon's in town. Rescue me. <laughs> <laughs> the, can I just say, just before... Uh, the scene before that where they're doing like the beading or making the jewellery one of the other nuns had one of my favourite lines of the movie where she was talking about her previous uh, convent is that the right way to say it? Yep. And was saying about oh I loved it there was no electricity we had bare feet it was hell on earth I loved it (laughs) I just thought (laughs) it was brilliant she wants to live in hell but she's a nun excellent she yeah she's uh she's a special special type isn't she yeah do you remember where the convent was uh was it like seattle or something it was vancouver oh vancouver there you go nice dolores then goes on and makes a phone call to eddie at the police station and gets put through to her uh to eddie and he tells her off basically and says it's not safe to phone me We've realised we've got a leak in the department. Someone's given out information and it's going to Vince because there's been like <laughs> basically an increase in the number of deaths of witnesses on this case. So don't call me. And he hangs up. Yep. And then we go to sort of Sister 
Mary Roberts goes to visit her in her cell and gives her the alarm clock as it's set for five o'clock. Now, I can't work out and have never been able to what the hell the alarm clock is saying. I tried to listen in for that as well. They say something like, wake up sleepyhead or, or something like that. Yeah, I think so. I've never, ever, in all the years of knowing the film and watching it, been able to work out what's being said. So, listeners, this is your time to shine. Can you please let me know what that alarm clock is saying? Because I have no idea. I don't know whether it's, it's what me and Simon have just said or if it's something else, but please, we would love to know. It's at this point that she, she kind of gets left alone and she's lying in her cell and she hears a motorbike and she looks out the window and she sees a bar across the road. So perfect opportunity for her to escape, go over and go back to kind of her normality, what she's used to. Um, and as she's sneaking out, she's then followed um, by the, her two soon-to-be best friends, um, Sister Mary Patrick and Mary Roberts. Or as I wrote in my notes, Shy Nun and Chirpy Nun. Shy Nun and Chirpy Nun, which is what they will forever be known as from now on. <laughs> <laughs> so she goes into the bar over the road and um, you, you kind of tell it's an environment that she's comfortable with, but everyone that's in there is not comfortable with her being in there. So it must be quite that strange, I'm going to use your word, like juxtaposition where she's used to a certain lifestyle and being part of it, but is is so far removed from it because of what she's wearing. Yeah, yeah. Like when she first went into the convent. So not a life she was used to at all and massively removed from it and then brought in. Yeah. Um, <coughs> loads of stuff then happens. She puts the song on, on the jukebox. She orders a Coke. Um, she grabs the guy by the ear, doesn't she? Puts his feet on the chair and tells him off. Yeah. And then uh, the, her two friends then walk in, so chirpy and quiet. <laughs> yeah. They then appear, and then it all sort of kicks off from there. Uh, the, one of the sweetest moments in this film was when Chirpy Nun is dancing on the dance floor and just uh, she's just having a really good time and. She gets to pick the song as well, doesn't she, on the on the jukebox? Yeah, it's really nice. It's sort of there's this like glare of innocence like surrounding her, but you know, like how like a child would is sort of not knowing anything, any evilness in the world, and sort of like this shining ray of light in this dark and not particularly very nice setting of you know sort of grumpy men <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely like biker kind of dingy dark nasty kind of place isn't it exactly so she, they go to the corner where like she where she starts dancing she starts she tries to dance with a quiet one doesn't she with mary roberts who runs away because she's all like scared and um she then just goes and grabs a, a random so one of the girls that's that's there and just starts dancing with her on the dance floor and yeah it's that perfect bit of innocence that she'll just do it because she's having fun and wants other people to have fun yeah exactly and she's not worried about looking foolish or people making fun of her etc it's just like she's just enjoying herself which is nice and that's how you know it should always be you know we shouldn't have to have fear of people judging you for you know dancing or singing (laughs) absolutely don't be scared, Dom. Just dust off those pipes and belt one out every now and again. 
maybe maybe not right now. So the, the song they dance to is uh, Dee Dee Sharp's like gravy, I think in brackets for my mashed potatoes, um, which is a song she says that she absolutely loves. So that song came out in 1962 um, and probably would have been something from when she was a kid. But I, I was quite surprised it was on that jukebox. Yeah, true. Well, you think is this all going to be like, yeah, dingy bar man music? Yeah, I probably wouldn't have described it as that, but yeah, something <laughs> may, maybe a bit heavier than uh, than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Anyway, so they they eventually decide to to leave the bar. They go back to the combat. They get caught um, by Reverend Mother, so they get in trouble. Uh, particularly Dolores, and Dolores is is basically, you know, accused of um, influencing them, and it's 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 her fault that this has happened. It wouldn't have happened before. The walls that they're in are, are the only thing that's keeping them safe, and she's putting them at risk by taking them outside those walls. Um, which Dolores is trying to say, you know, we need to go out and you know do this and do that and meet the people and stuff. And she's like, absolutely not. Um, and this is where she gets told that she's only going to do one thing for her entire stay, and that is join the choir. Yes, and there's a great line in there as well where she says, to error is human, to forgive is divine, which I thought was a really nice line. I mean, it's probably yeah. from the Bible, I'm sure. but <laughs> more, more than likely not written by <laughs> the writers of this film. Yeah, but I thought it was really good. It's a good, I wrote it down. I was like, that's, yeah, nice. I actually wrote down the line, you will sleep and you will sing, <laughs> which is all <laughs> she's allowed to do. <laughs> and then we move to the first choir practice. The first one. And this is where sort of Mary Lazarus comes into her own. Um, who's played is it hold on uh, who's played by Mary Wicks um, who's the older who's the one for, that was in the convent in Vancouver mm-hmm. yeah sadly passed away um, sort of three years after after Sister Act was made so she died in 1995 that's sad it is sad um, but she was born in 1910 so she she was right, right old age of 85 when she died so right there's also, one of the other nuns at the front, my wife pointed out to me, is the old woman that's getting singing lessons in the wedding singer that pays Adam Sandler with meatballs. That is correct. Yes, she is. <laughs> she is also in this film. Yeah, it's, it's um, Ellen Albertini Dow, isn't it? But that's her. That's her name, I think. She's great. Yeah. So it's her that's in it. This whole scene where she's sort of bonding with the with the other nuns and rearranging the choir, you know, you guys, the tenors stand over here, the whoever stand here, so on and so forth. As it was sort of going through, it made me see that School of Rock probably uh well it didn't like take from this, but maybe had slight inspiration from some of their scenes because some of it was reminiscent of when like jack black's doing that with the kids obviously school of rock came way after this but uh it kind of had a similar sort of vibe as well because jack black's character in school of rock is pretending to be a teacher and he's not actually a teacher and in this obviously uh dolores is pretending to be a nun isn't actually a nun but they don't know and it's 
teaching them to to do music in a different style which is sort of more more modernized but yeah so i could see some of the comparisons or, or do you think that's crazy to draw comparisons to that no i think i think it's a classic case of um hidden identity isn't it as well which you know we could discuss the amount of shakespeare that is that could be thrown into here hey man feel free <laughs> I always, I always sort of find a way of leading it back to Shakespeare, but it's fine. It's a good old Bill. Good old Bill Bruy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. Get, get your head out of them books, Bill. Go outside. <laughs> get tan, mate. <laughs> Looking pale. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Uh, uh, right, so I've been happy for once. <laughs> write a comedy I mean he did write a few I knew you was going to say something like that <laughs> I knew it I knew it you couldn't let it sit let's move on from William Shakespeare it's, it's a great scene what, what did you think about that scene because it's kind of pivotal isn't it in moving the, the movie forward yeah it's, it's that you know that we're at that peak aren't we? almost that arc of getting over to the other side where things are, are going to start coming good from that point, aren't they? And it's, they will get excited because she shows them how to sing and she, then she automatically goes, you sang one note for like two seconds. You need to be able to listen to each other and grow from there. And you should, this is where, you know, she goes from being um, kind of that pain in the ass sort of, she's just a distraction to, you know, actually she could lead something here. And give something back. Yeah. And what it kind of reflects her previous life. So she was the one that set up the group, did the, you know, the choreography for them, told them what songs to sing and how to sing them. And now she's doing that again. But, you know, obviously in a different environment and location. And I think she likes the nuns because they they are nice people of course so i think yeah and, and they like her because she's got some you know energy about her and what they don't have access to within their convent you know so they're almost sort of like fascinated with her like she's like an alien or something because they're only confined into that one setting with all the same people so she is different and interesting and they're sort of drawn to her and she yeah so it's in it's a really nice relationship that builds from here yeah and you can see that it's from here that they all get a lot closer so it was just kind of the three of them there that was mary clarence mary roberts and Mary Patrick that were all close and now they've included Mary Lazarus and it grows from there to you know the rest of the choir as well um they will take an interest and they all care about each other um and then this is so we go literally straight from first rehearsal into the first so Mary Roberts does the A with attitude and then we go into like the first performance where Mary Clarence is the head of the choir and, you know, the bishop then, like, uh, well, let's call him a priest. The priest um, introduces them on and says, you know, led by Sister Mary Clarence, and she's going to, they're going to sing um, Hail Holy Queen, which is the song. And then they start, 
and then all of a sudden the place is jumping so this is jump jump the house is jumping yeah yeah come on what jump jump the house is jumping jump jump the house is jumping oh my god Tom, it's the first you wear <laughs> i love it <laughs> you caught me off guard i was like oh my god it's happening. I'm not even like so happy. It's the official collapse, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so much more to come. Absolutely. <laughs> so everyone's loving it. Everyone's enjoying it. Everyone's coming in. Like there's people coming in off the street, um, and uh, they're really enjoying it already. It's a hymn, but it's got that kind of like modern, you know, twang on it. Um, and it, it's a success. It goes really well. Choir boys are enjoying it. <laughs> they are. Little... They are enjoying it. <laughs> or oh, the altar boys or whatever their, whatever their role is within the church. But... Uh, everyone's loving it except one lady. Mm-hmm. We all know who that is. Mm-hmm. Reverend Mother. Mm-hmm. She's not happy. Not at all. And then Dolores gets a telling off uh, after this. One of my favourite lines in the well. It's the uh, boogie-woogie on the piano bit. I like that. Yeah, it's brilliant. All of it is perfect. I really love these scenes. And But then, yeah, then she's getting a telling off from, you know, the head nun. But then uh, the priest comes in. Oh, yeah. she's She sort of says she's such a great and brave woman and she's going to let us go out into the community and she wants us to get more people to come and stuff like that. And she's like... Oh, uh, 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 really? And she can't go back on it because then all the other nuns are like almost, you know, press ganging her into it. <laughs> so, oh, it's, you know, that's such a lovely thing. Oh, you're so wonderful. What a woman you are. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. And this is, there's a great line here that where the priest, although he's Irish in real life, kind of switches on the Irish a little bit more just for this line. And he's like, um, it, you're bold and you'll fight to keep your little convent alive. <laughs> <laughs> Which, which I thought was brilliant. <laughs> yeah, nice, nice. Yeah, sometimes certain lines just work a little bit better in different accents, don't they? So why not? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we go through this whole montage of they're cleaning up the place, um, they're meeting people on the street, uh, they're basically trying to get money to fix the roof. There's a bit more singing, uh, you know, as part of the montage they fix the old beetle and then they they're doing a lot of painting and painting the walls and and all bits like that well, the, all to a touch of love is it is that the song that's playing yeah and and they're getting people interested in the church they're like dancing with some of the the girls on the street and then the next thing we know they're in the church so it's they're starting to build a following from just having good vibes and for, you know, their singing. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, even these youngsters are coming in and enjoying it and they're seeing a different side to it and it's getting them into it, isn't it? Yeah, it's awesome. But they get so much attention that they start getting TV attention and Vince very almost sees Dolores on TV And you think, okay, he didn't see, so we've got away with it. But one of the... The police officer, Eddie, sees Dolores on TV and, you know, is upset because obviously he's meant to be in hiding. So runs over to confront Dolores over him. I'm going to kill her. 
I'm going to kill him myself. <laughs> is what he says. He's not happy about it at all. Yeah, well, it's going against the whole point of what they're doing, isn't it? But at the same time, she's doing it because she's trying to do good things for the, the Covenant and for her new friends. Absolutely. So she's she's putting everyone at risk by being on TV, but trying to hide at the same time. Right, yeah. So, yeah, Vince's wife is watching it and says, oh, these are do-gooders. We should give them money. Look at this, look at this. And he's like, I'm shooting Paul and ignores it. And it's just at that point that she's on the TV and she hides behind the baby. Um, and it will, he, he then um, goes to tell her off, doesn't he? Because um, he's really not happy. Uh, but there's a show starting in five minutes. So leave me alone. Are you going to stay for the show? And he's like, he, this, this is kind of a weird moment as well. He's like, yeah, I really care about you, you know. And she's like, oh, oh okay. Someone who actually does care about me. There's, there's kind of that weird moment of, oh, could this be love? Yeah. Yeah, maybe, maybe that was a, a plot thread that they started and then, you know, they thought maybe they'd put a scene in at the end to put them together. Maybe there's a deleted scene of them having a, you know, traditional end of the 90s film kiss. Absolutely. That was their way of doing it. Just a look. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We then we then go into the show, don't we? Um which has, you know, got bigger and better because all the, the TV press has meant loads of people have turned up. And uh, the priest tells a story of, of Mary Magdalene and says that, you know, makes a joke about, because Mary Mag- Magdalene was um, supposedly a prostitute and makes a joke that she knew everyone and it gets a laugh. I thought that was quite funny in the in the church because mm. watching that as a kid, I wouldn't have had a clue what he was talking about, but now it, it kind of makes sense and it's funny. Right, right. Um, and then he says, oh, and the choir are going to, you know, do their best to present that story through song. And then they start singing My Guy. Um, but they change it to... My God, my God. Well, that was My Girl that you were singing. <laughs> Talking about my God. Oh God. My God. <laughs> I got so much love. You hit a certain tone that cuts out <laughs> on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> only my only my dog can hear from the other room. She's going crazy. <laughs> Just going up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, how does so, my guy go? <laughs> Oh my god! I've got. I can only get my girl. I can't get my girl out of my head now. <laughs> uh, nothing you could do, cause I'm stuck like glue to my girl. My girl. <laughs> yeah, that one. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's a good movie. So I start singing that, and when they when they start getting into it, one of my absolute favourite bits that made me laugh out loud um, was when they they do a turn, they do a half turn, and look at the crowd and mary lazarus turns the wrong way yeah my wife really and laughed they... at that as well when we were watching <laughs> it together so i've seen the film a hundred times that still makes me laugh <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's brilliant um and then again at this point the priest looks out everyone's loving loving it everyone's enjoying it except the reverend mother so maggie smith's still not happy stone face after they've done the show they 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 have like a, a collective like euphoric moment where they were really happy and it's they've got that buzz it's like that post-show buzz um and they're really happy and um one of them says it's better than ice cream one of them says it's better than springtime and then dolores says oh, it's better than sex uh so i've heard <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, that's a great line. This is where the priest then comes in and says, you know, I wasn't going to tell you, um, but uh, the Pope has heard about what we're doing. He's seen what we've what we've done and how we've turned this church around and how we're getting the community involved. And he's coming to visit us when he does his visit to San Francisco. And they're all buzzing, obviously. That's that's basically, you know, th- that's their main man, isn't it? That's, <laughs> that's the main guy right there. That's the that's the that's the guy. That's that's the dude. That's that. The Pope the Pope is like top man to, to God like on earth and then the reverend mother says or oh, maybe we should go back to our old style then be a bit more traditional and let mary lazarus take over the choir again and it this sort of gets a little bit heated at this point because the only reason he's coming is because we've changed and we've made it more fun and exciting so they have a little vote she loses the vote uh and she gets a bit upset by that and so dolores is is uh out ahead at the moment and is kind of winning favour with everyone except the Reverend Mother. Yeah. Dolores then gets a phone call about uh, leaving. So um, police officers managed to get the court date pushed forward. She's got about 48 hours. She'll be free and then go to court and it'll all be done. And then she says to the Reverend Mother, oh, I'm you know, going to be leaving soon. And she says, oh, both of us are going to be leaving then because she's decided to resign from her position and is going to be transferred. Mm. Yeah, out of bitterness really, isn't it? Yeah, she's just kind of gone, well, I've I've kind of lost my... I don't know what the word is here. Not really, it's not appeal, maybe control. Yeah, which is kind of, she's kind of... Yeah, she's kind of lost her control. She's lost her place on the ladder, really, even though... She still is higher in the hierarchy. She's lost the support of the nuns, I guess. So then we go into a nice little scene of them eating ice cream, which they managed to get, and is you know they having a chat, and they all they get a little bit worried about Dolores leaving them, um, and she said, "No, no, I'm not leaving," you know, because obviously they still don't know that she's not really um, a nun, um, which is quite a nice scene. And then we jump to um, Detective Tate, who uh, gets given some, like, is it like meal vouchers or something like that? He gets this folder of stuff that's left on his desk um, that's meant for Lieutenant Salsa. And he says, I'll oh, leave that with me. I'll, I'll uh, make sure he signs it when he gets, gets in later or gets in tomorrow. And then Salsa reappears and sees the person that left the folder with him. And he's like, oh, I've left that folder on his desk. And he said that he'd, he'd keep it for you and then Souther starts to work out that this is the this is it this is the person that's been you know feeding information to to Vince and all our witnesses have been disappearing yeah well he sees a slip in the folder that was a ten thousand dollar donation to St Catherine's so then he knows the the location but yeah then he comes in and just promptly punches him in the face yeah, smacks him in the face. And do you know what he says? He, oh, he says something like, yeah, he tried to get me, Dom. But I, <laughs> he, You're too good. he said something like, with boys, we've found the leak. Plug him up. Something like that. Here's our leak, boys. Plug him up. Hey, oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
this, this is where it, it starts to get a bit heartfelt because Salva then goes to tell Dolores she can't do the show. She's she's too at risk now, um, so she she can't do it, and she's a bit you know devastated because they're going to go on it's to the Pope and she needs to be there, and um, the goons then turn up, they kidnap her and Mary Roberts. Um, but she manages to get her out of the car. She basically pushes her out of a moving car. It's like, you don't need her anyway. You've got me. That's you. I'm what you came for. Uh, and they get taken back to, they go back to Reno where she's then tied to a chair that featured heavily in Star Trek. Oh, wait, hang on before we get to the chair, because I'm sure there's more to talk about on that chair. But the, <laughs> when she rolls out of the car slash gets pushed out of the car, I found that really funny because it was, as a first-time viewer, it was just really out of left field. She just got kicked out of, like, a moving car. It's like when when she starts coughing as well to go, <clears throat> and she's, like, drawing attention to pulling the lever on the door to, to get her out. She starts patting her on the back <laughs> to help her with her cough. She's like, no, 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 get out, sort of thing, <laughs> which was quite a good moment. Yeah, it's really good. And this is then, it, from then, it then, you know, the police chase all happens and then the big reveal comes out to the rest of the, the convent that she's not a nun. Um, and then this is the great bit where all the nuns kind of band together, including the River Mother, to do the right thing and help and go and save her as best as they can. And they go and talk to this helicopter pilot <laughs> and they make him feel so bad <laughs> about not taking it because he, he tries to charge them $1,500 to... To, for the flight to Reno and they're like but we don't have any money and he's like well then you don't fly so they, they do this like praying or they do like a prayer for him um, and like almost pleading with God not to harm him for, for him not helping them out <laughs> it's so good I really enjoyed that scene and he's like sister sisters hold on a second and he's like and then all of a sudden they're in a helicopter yeah, it's brilliant. And, and, and then Dolores is tied to a chair. She is. A very, very important Star Trek chair. <laughs> that one day might be in your house. You never know. You never know. Would you let people sit in it? Like, would you let me sit in the chair? I'd let you sit in it. Okay. I'd let certain people sit in it. Who's not allowed to sit in it? It's probably easier to say who is allowed to sit in it. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> well that i feel honored then there's a list of like three people wow me and you are two of them whoa <laughs> and uh vince says that she's pretending to be a nun um but the two goons are like no she's been acting weird since we got her and at this point she's like i forgive you vince and he's like playing along with the whole religious thing and this is where he says waste her and he walks off he disappears so he doesn't even do his own dirty work leaves it to them so the goons both decide that they can't waste a nun and um they kind of find it difficult to decide who's going to do it between them so they say right we'll both do it and we'll we'll do it on three and they have a little debate about who shoot on three or after three and it's just like shut up and just do it and then as they go over and, and count one two three neither of them shoot and they go oh, i figured if if you shot i wouldn't have to um, is what they both say um, and then this is the point where they basically untie her from the chair and say 
strip you got to take off the nun stuff because then we can do what we've got to do mm-hmm. yep and she has a little prayer at this point it was clever this bit so she gets down and she starts praying and they're like oh for god's sake but they kind of do the same as well so they dip their heads and put their hands together and they're just like listening to what she has to say and then when she makes the sign of the cross they do the same and it's a perfect opportunity for her to smash them both in the nuts (laughs) (laughs) someone's someone's holding half a pound of aunt betty's nut butter (laughs) right there (laughs) little giants love it so then she she manages to escape and is running around the casino and then meets up with the other nuns who also do the same. So they all, they've all split up. They're trying to find her and each other and trying to help her out. And um, as they're running around, they're, they get com- they're confusing Vince and the goons that um, each each one of them is, is Denise. Uh, it's the old and, too many nun tricks. Yeah. We, you know, we've all been there. We've all been confused by you know several nuns multiple nuns can, can i just add in as well just a quick bit that when they're doing these chase scenes etc she hides herself at a roulette table and she says red 23 and everyone like puts their their money on on red 23 and then do you know what number actually comes in red 14 red 14 which was crazy to me because 14 is my wife's favorite number uh, and has been the like her whole life. And I've never really known where it has come from. And to the point that if we go to Vegas or go to the casino or whatever, we always put money on red 14, so on and so forth. My basketball jersey number is 14 for my basketball team, etc. And then it, there it was. It popped up in this, so I think this might be where it came from. Oh, nice! <laughs> so, yeah, well, they the, all of them um, at the table sort of question where she, why red twenty three, and she points up, doesn't she? Like reference, <laughs> yeah. you, you know, she gets this information from God, <laughs> which you could say connects and, uh, back to basketball as well because it's Michael Jordan's number and LeBron James's number. LeBron, LeBron James. <laughs> <laughs> knew that was going LeBron James LeBron James we're like what is this our 11th episode or something we, we just know now on cue <laughs> what's going to happen next <laughs> <laughs> with, all the, the, with all the nuns running around now um, Vince is chasing one and he goes hey babe and uh, <laughs> Mary Lazarus turns around and goes hey sweetheart and he's like oh and then sort of runs away <laughs> okay so they all get found in the uh, private room or the room that's not being used in the casino they're all huddled together they're all hiding um dolores at the back and um vince uh joey and willie uh the goons sorry find her find them all and she comes out from the back and this is where um vince says joey do it and he won't do it he does he says i won't shoot none and he's like she's just abroad and Reverend Mother steps forward and says, she's, she's not just abroad, she's a nun. You know, she came to us in need, but she's joined us now. Um, and she's very much part of our convent. And this is where Vince decides that, you know, okay, he's going to shoot her. And then, bang! Eddie to the rescue. Shoots Vince in the arm. They all get arrested. And then we have two words. I've got two words for you, Vince. What are the two words, Simon? you 
<laughs> I wish it was that. B- bless you. Bless you. Yeah. <laughs> C- can I can I just say on that when when the police officer shoots him, the way that it's shot is it makes it sound like or look like that Vince has shot Dolores, and it actually shocked me. I was like, oh, like. Is this going to be like a bulletproof vest situation or something? Or <laughs> she's 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 got Kevlar under there, or she's she's done what Marty McFly has done and has put yeah. like the, front, the front of a furnace under her top. Yeah, Back to the Future three. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's a great bit. And then I thought, oh, okay, this is going to be it. Like the the credits are going to come up, but I forget. Of course, we've got a concert to go to. Absolutely, the Pope, the man. The G is coming. <laughs> the big P. The big P. <laughs> I'd just be blessed by the big P. Covered in, covered in all kinds of P. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Uh... Okay. So the, they, they go back to do the concert. And uh, she's not wearing the full habits now because everybody knows that she she wasn't a nun. And um, they make a little joke about knowing her real identity, but they're grateful that she's okay and that they're all okay. And she's grateful that they came to uh, look after her. And then this is the 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 bond starts here with Reverend Mother, and you know they like each other really. And then they do the show. Everybody loves it. The Pope loves it. He's on his feet dancing away he gives a standing ovation he does standing ovation at the end pope stands for no one (laughs) well yeah or or not he stands for a good choir a good old choir he'll stand absolutely and then we get to the end credits with all the magazines we made it to the end that was an excellent debrief for an excellent scene by scene dom Really good. Thank you, very, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah, really good. I hope our listeners like it as much as you do. <laughs> of course they do. Of course they do. So, Dom, I guess that takes us to our judgments. So let me ask you, who was your favourite performer from the primary cast? Uh, it's got to be Whoopi Goldberg, hasn't it? I think she's brilliant. She's funny. Um Great singing, uh, good sort of um, good comic acting as well. Um, just like little touches, like with the microphones and stuff, and her looks. And when she's falling asleep, and her eyes go really wide, and she's trying to keep awake, and just loads of little bits like that, and just delivery of her lines, and um, just the way she interacts with everyone. Brilliant. Really, really, really liked liked her as as the main character of this film. What about yourself? Yeah, I agree. I think it's hard pressed to not choose Whoopi as the, you know, for the primary cast. She's brilliant. I, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, I have seen her in other things like a little bit, but I haven't gone super deep into her catalogue. And I, I think I, I would happily go on a rabbit hole of Whoopi Goldberg movies. I think she's great. And yeah, I, she is awesome, and I think she gave a great performance in this. And I really want to watch the sequel now. So, and then perhaps the trilogy if, when that's released. So I'm sure I will. So 
Yeah, I'd have to say Whoopi. What about your favourite performer from the secondary cast? Are we counting the rest of the nuns as secondary cast? Yeah, I think so. Because although they they all play like a massive part in the film, I actually think um, I, I think maybe it's got to go to to the the little trio, her her three friends, like as a as a collective on this one. I'm not sure I could single out one. Maggie Smith is great in the film. I think she's brilliant, but she plays kind of like from a Harry Potter point of view, it's like quite a similar character to that. But Kathy, Najimi, Wendy McKenna, M- Mer- Wendy McKenna, and Mary Wicks, who are Mary Patrick, Mary Robert, and Mary Lazarus, um, they're all brilliant. So I'd I'd give it to them. What about yourself? Did you have one favourite, or is it a mixture as well? Yeah, well, yeah, I can see the mixture for sure. Um, but I I think I would say Mary Patrick is. She was great and she gave me some of my laugh out loud moments. And I don't know, she just sort of makes you happy, doesn't she? (laughs) She definitely does, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but but all of them were brilliant, of course, but she she, uh, stood out for me. So what about your judgments, Dom? So as you know, but for any new listeners, we do two judgments on our podcast. We do a subjective judgment out of 10, which is what does the movie mean to us? Like taking into taking into perspective nostalgia. And then we do our objective rating of what we think of it, looking at it from 2020 from a more sort of critical standpoint. So what would your two ratings be, Dom? So my objective... Um, kind of how the film uh, is performed and stands out and holds up. I think probably uh, I'm going to go a bit higher than IMDb and give it a seven. Yeah, I'd, I'd give it a seven for, um, you know, it's, it's well performed and well acted. It's quite a quick film. It sort of literally goes from scene to scene, 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 scene very quickly. There's no sort of massive amounts of dialogue or anything like that. Yeah. Um, um, but it's a really fun film. Great singing in it. Great song choices in it. So yeah, so um, maybe seven point five. Wow. Okay. I, I talked myself into a higher, <laughs> higher result. <laughs> you, you did. What about your subjective? I think subjectively, I'm going to have to give it a nine. Ooh. I've gone high for once as well. That's 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 high for you. Did you give Saving Private Ryan a ten? Yeah, I think so. I think you gave... No, I actually remember. I don't think you did. I think you gave it... Was it it 9.5? I think it was even 9.5. I think you gave it a 9 because you said there was some continuity errors. Oh, yeah, there was, yeah. So Sister Act and Saving Private Ryan are on the same page for you. Saving Private Ryan, for me, was uh, like a film I watched every day. Loved it. I still do. You know, I don't watch it every day, but I still love it. Um, Sister Act for me is got is more about nostalgia, and the fact that it's still, I still think it's brilliantly funny. There's some great scenes in it, um, great comedy, but reminds me of kind of watching it with my mum and my mum loving the film as well and really enjoying the songs from it. Um, so it kind of reminds me of all of that. So that it, that's why it gets a nine. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it's nice when you can connect memories to movies with like family and friends, and yeah, kind of gives it more meaning, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. And what about your subjective and objective ratings on it? Well, it's kind of difficult to differentiate them really today because, uh, as a first-time viewer, 
I would say, so I'll just give one rating because, yeah, it's hard for me to give a subjective one because I had no connection to it previously. So I'll just sort of combine them. Is that okay? Yeah, of course. I will give it a solid seven. Nice. I could hit, I could imagine being swayed to go a little bit further. I reckon if I was to like watch it again in like a year's time, I'd probably like ah oh, like have even more fondness to it because you know when you sort of know the story beats, you can kind of get into noticing some more of the other bits uh, in the background and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, I give it a solid seven. I think it's a really good film. I think the performances are, are really great in it. It's a movie that anyone can watch. You can watch with you know kids with parents adults family members it's a good all-round film i think it's aged well i'd imagine it still being great in another 20 years time like it's a a classic 90s movie so it was a great choice Uh, i'm glad that you chose it for us cool i'm glad you enjoyed it as well it's it's um it is a fun film and i'm glad that uh you uh got to watch it and you said that your your wife really enjoys the film and likes the film as well so i'm glad that picked one that she likes too for sure yes excellent so dom as you chose sister act it is that time that i choose a movie for you for our next episode we'll work out after this you know whether i deep dive it or you deep dive it or whatever because we know that as we said earlier covid19 schedules being all over the place so It might be Dom covering this one, it might be me, but regardless, I'll make the choice for what we cover next. Yeah, looking forward to finding out what you're going to suggest. Well, Dom, this is a certified 90s classic. It's on the list of, there is like a Mount Rushmore of movies that are special to you and to me, like together, as in the Simon and Dominic, the Dominic and Simon friendship like a, you know, a special one that you and I would have watched religiously together. It narrows it down to a few, doesn't it? I think I know what you're gonna pick. (laughs) Dom, the movie that we will cover on our next episode is Face Off. I knew it was coming one day. I just didn't know it'd be so soon. <laughs> it's time to take faces off. Excellent. I'm so excited. Well, I I can hear it already in your voice. I think I even think if I took the deep dive on this, you'd be heartbroken. <laughs> I think I would. I would. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. I mean, Face Off, obviously a movie that you love, right? Yeah, great film. Great. John Travolta, Nicolas Cage. What more could anyone want? Add John Woo in the mix and you've got a classic. So Absolutely. It will be fun. It will be a fun time. So that is what we'll be covering on the next episode of the podcast. Before we move on, Dom, can you remind me of everybody's favourite Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan 90s rom-com movie? You've got mail. We sure do. You've got mail. We've had a few people reach out on the social medias on Instagram. So I just wanted to read some of them out. So we had some feedback from a listener, 
Jay about our Fight Club episode and he gave some great information about uh, some of the stuff that we said. He thought it was a great episode. He said that, you remember the VW Beetle that that Ed Norton and Brad Pitt take a baseball bat to halfway through the film? And we were saying it's because they just hated that model of the car. Jay was saying that it was also to do with the fact that the VW Beetle back in like, I don't know, the 60s and the 70s, it used to represent kind of like freedom and it was for, it's kind of like, you know, the, the hip, a hippie van, wasn't it? And that when they did the new model of it, they were sort of, it became sort of a commercial capitalization machine, if you know what I mean. It kind of went against what it used to stand for. So it kind of went into consumerism and that was sort of also a double meaning behind why they trashed the car. Oh, wow. Well, great, great knowledge. Great little fact there. Uh, and thanks for sending that in, Jay. That's that's awesome. Yeah, very cool. We also got some suggestions from people on Instagram for other films to cover, things like Starship Troopers. That's, that's going to be an interesting one. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed that movie growing up. Were you a fan? Uh, yeah, again, it's one of those films that... Um, I think I like watching it because my, my dad strangely really liked watching it. Well, we've talked about my dad before on this podcast and he this is one of the ones that he he will still watch now. If it if it's on TV or whatever, no matter what else is on, that film will be playing. Well that that could lead to some awkward viewing for you and your dad, because there are sections of the movie that have breasts in. Well yeah. We'll talk about that when we cover it. <laughs> <laughs> there we go things to look forward to so <laughs> there's a uh, we always had suggestions for movies like the sandlot uh uncle buck and others so another great movie so thank you for that terminator 2 yeah terminator 2 yeah and, and others so please do get in contact with us on social media and let us know there is also a great page on Instagram that we've been really enjoying recently as a podcast that does great 80s and 90s sort of nostalgia posts and videos on Instagram. It's called 80s, 90s Kids Memories, which I will put a link in the description. Uh, it's Kids with a Z and Memories with a Z. Look in the description, you'll see, and you can click that. And there's great content on there, especially if you're a fan of the 90s, which of course you are, because that's why you're here on our podcast. So check that out. It's uh, it's a really cool page. But also while you're on there, check out our page, which is... At the Mighty 90s on Instagram. And you can come over to Twitter, show us some love over there. At the Mighty underscore 90s. You can catch us on our website, themighty90s.com. You can send us a message on there, interact with us, let us know suggestions of movies that we can do in the future. Thank you, as always, for all of the support. We've hit loads of milestones recently with our podcast. Believe it or not, we've actually charted in the iTunes uh, podcast chart for film reviews in the US and in the UK. So super grateful for all of you for listening and sharing it with your friends so thank you very much thank you everyone for for listening and supporting us and keep sending us messages and suggestions and give us a rating and a little review but please be gentle with us and wear gloves show me the honey steamboat billy doot doot
don't want to raise your kids. I don't even like kids. His name is Robert Paulson. You're not even a has -been. You're a never was. I'm Woody. Howdy, howdy, howdy. I'm gonna show you God does exist. I am invincible! Go, baby, go! Once again! I see pride! Junior! I see power! I see a badass mother who won't take no crap off of nobody! That's right! That's right! There's not a man to